Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Now we're still on our travels and we're back in Thailand now, having spent a, a few days in Bangkok earlier and, uh, and now a bit of chill time on PP Island before what could be quite a mad time in Phuket right at the end of the trip. In fact, I'm recording this uh, this week's show a lot earlier than usual, just in case I have an experience akin to that uh, that you might have seen in the Hangover movie uh, that might prevent me from being able to speak or something like that round about this time uh, next week. All being well, though, that won't happen, so um, expect to have another episode with you again in a week's time. Right now, though, I wanted to share with you a couple of property strategies that are trending right now, setting the context as to why is the case as I do. So let's get on with the discussion straight away. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Okay, so as I was thinking about what I would share with you this week, a couple of property strategies are are trending at the moment, and so I thought I'd share a little bit about these. There are at least two, probably quite a few more, but there's at least two emerging alternatives to buy-to-let that are doing the rounds uh, with many of the professional property people right now at least. And they are serviced accommodation and property partnerships. One is new, as you might have gathered, and one is apparently not so new uh, as a concept right here, although the latter has re-emerged of late due to some of the environmental factors as we shall hear as we progress the discussion. So let's start with serviced accommodation then and uh, a brief brief outline of what it is uh, for the purposes of this soundbite episode that is. So first of all, it's uh, serviced accommodation is a bit of an umbrella term that catches quite a lot of different ter- types of terminology. Essentially, it's uh, abbreviated for short-term furnished room or property rental, which is let by either the day, the week or the month. Um, It often includes some extra services, uh, most notably cleaning and laundry, but it could also extend to other things like catering, transfers, excursions, and so on. It's not let, or the rooms rather, are not let on a a standard AST, a short, uh, sorry, a short, short hold tenancy. That's why I abbreviate it, because I can't say it, Um, as, as is the case with buy to let. And in fact, uh, strictly speaking, you need class one business use for planning purposes as well. So there's a planning permission aspect there. But uh, trust me, if you ring the planning department and say, I want to start a serviced accommodation business, they probably won't know what you mean. So you probably need to use language like a holiday let or a short term let or something like that so that they understand what it means. But given that point, there's a number of permissions that are required. One is planning, as I've just alluded to, but the other two are from insurers and from indeed lenders to operate this type of business model because it could be uh, in contradiction to their terms and conditions and uh, that could cause some problems later on, which you probably want to avoid. In terms of the types of letting then for serviced accommodation, there's a number of different types, but here are some of the main ones. 
Um, one of them is leisure for leisure purposes. So that'll be a traditional holiday lets and short-term vacations. So weekend breaks and uh, holiday lets. Obviously, if it's in a in a location which lends itself to that, city city centres for the uh, short-term um, stays and uh, on the fringes of uh, coastal regions or um, national parks and that kind of thing for holiday lets. Another variation could be corporate. So that could be some short to midterm corporate lets. So you're lending it, lending it, sorry, letting it rather to a, a business who perhaps are providing accommodation for a staff member or contractors or visitors and that kind of thing. Then there is business, business use. So as, as distinct from a corporate let, which is somebody who's perhaps taking the property and then they're managing people who are going into it, business uh, use is really where uh, we're letting directly to someone who's going to be staying there for uh, the purposes of being close to their business purposes. So it could be white collar or blue collar workers. Uh, for overnight accommodation, temporary accommodation, oh, sorry, <laughs> overnight accommodation, I'm getting ahead of myself there. Temporary accommodation is the next category. So this could be for uh, casual or short-term living, say, um, if we're getting to know a, a new place or in between properties or locations, um, or just want a bit of a break, really, just want to we'll stay somewhere for a while. I know that there's a, a number of people who travel and uh, they will look for this type of property as they stay in a particular place um, to get to know it a little bit better. So they're the types of let that you can expect. And in terms, in terms of the business model, and bear in mind, I'm really just talking at a headline level at the moment. In terms of the business model, you, what we're looking at here is uh, a reliance on the unit rental rate. And when I say the unit rental rate, what I mean is uh, the day rate, the week rate, the month rate that we're charging. So it's different to a monthly rental figure, for example. That's the point I'm really trying to highlight. But equally, it's based on occupancy levels as well. And those two things, those two factors are going to derive our profitability. So the unit rental rate and our occup occupancy level, if you, if if you, that becomes a, a sum effectively that uh, we, we, get, we add together to derive our profitability. Another characteristic really with this business model is that both the marketing and indeed the management are very different to buy to let in particular. And whilst they bear some resemblance to let's say an HMO, because an HMO already has some sort of unit-based um, uh, process to it, uh, i.e. it's room rental, um, that it, uh, but it has a lot higher turnover and indeed quite a lot more management as well, even than an HMO. So that's how it's distinguished. That's how uh, they're, they're the drivers, the key drivers, if you like, in the business model. But let me try and illustrate this by, uh, by way of an example. And uh, this is this is a project I'm currently working on at the moment. It's a it's a four bed semi detached property in Lancashire. Um, it's quite close to Haydock Park um, Racecourse, and indeed a a, a business um, what's the word? industrial site is what I'm trying to say. Oh dear, I've obviously got my uh, Far East head on at the moment. I do apologise. Anyway, so this property, its um, its market value is uh, 180,000 pounds, and uh, as a single let, the market rent is about 700 pounds a month. So it's not particularly inspiring as a standard buy-to-let with a less than 5% gross yield and a, a slightly healthier return on investment of just under 8% if we're using a mortgage. So yeah, it's not exactly stellar, is it? Uh, and, that, and not many people are going to look at that as an opportunity uh, as a standalone buy-to-let investment uh, for, for those reasons. However, contrast this with the potential returns if it's converted into serviced accommodation that can sleep up to 10 or even 12 people. 
So assuming a modest room rate of let's say £99 per night, which compares favourably to the local hotels, the Premier Inns and the Holiday Inns and that sort of thing that are in the area for a double or a twin room, but with only 40% occupancy, so in other words the room is only booked for 40% of the year, this would give a gross, uh, a gross rental figure of over £1,900 per month in rent. That's contrasted with the £700 a month as a single let. Now there are more costs involved in managing the property though, so the management charge is going to be higher than you would normally expect with a buy to let and even with an HMO. So that needs to be factored into the equation. There's booking fees, there's management fees, this sort of thing uh, that needs to be factored in. However, even taking account of the higher costs into consideration, based on this level of booking activity, the gross yield jumps to just shy of 13%, and the return on investment a rather impressive 16% plus. Now, that's quite conservative actually, so if you add to this the prospect of increasing the occupancy rate, it gets even better. And in this case, because it's quite a substantial property and can house quite a number of people, the expected uh, unit rate, booking rate, is around about £179 a night rather than £99. And um, I think, you know, 50% or more occupancy rate is rather doable as well. So it does start to make the, uh, the proposition, proposition rather look very attractive, I have to say. And this is why serviced accommodation is being one of the most sought after new strategies at the moment it can transform a fairly ordinary drab investment proposition into a rather inspiring one by adopting a completely different angle. So that's the serviced accommodation uh, trend. The next one really I wanted to talk about, the next uh, growth area I wanted to talk about a little bit more. Uh, it's been around for a little while actually, but it's taken on even more uh, prominence at the moment, and that is property partnerships. Now, partnering with others is not, is not new and it can come in several forms. For example, uh, financial investment partnerships, joint ventures to combine skills and resources, and even outsourced management partnerships to utilise selected skill sets of other people are just some of the options that are available. Now, partnership allows people to do more with less, or as I like to say, leverage, and to plug some of the gaps that they may have in terms of one or more of the following capabilities finance and other capital assets for example. This could be money uh, to invest, or it could even be a property to utilise as well, we'll come back to that point. It could be skills, know-how and systems such as the building trade knowledge, planning regulations, niche market awareness and short-term booking systems and management and so on as we've been alluding to. It could be more experience, gaining access to more experience, just knowing the pitfalls and how to avoid or at least reduce them can be of great help. Contacts, access to off-market opportunities, investor communities, an existing power team of professionals and trades and such like is another reason why people look to go into a partnership. And shared learning and accountability. Now often this is underrated, but quite often undervalued as well. Having someone to share the journey with can make it more interesting, fun and deepen the learn exp learning rather experience as well as giving two heads being better than one approach to risk management. Now, partnering with others allows us to scale bigger, to reach further, or to access new projects that we could not necessarily do all on our own. In fact, working in partnership has been a personal breakthrough as a property investor for me. My progress has accelerated since uh, getting my head around the concept that I can do far more with others than I could possibly do all on my own. It took me a little while to get to, you know, to come to grips with that idea of uh, the line of thinking, rather, I can tell you.
And there's no fluke really that these two particular approaches to property investing are trending right now. And as we discussed previously, the attractiveness of buy-to-let has been a little bit watered down by some of the recent policy changes, notably to stamp duty and mortgage interest relief of late. Now, both of these will have a negative effect, particularly, but not exclusively, on investors who are buying in their personal names, using mortgages, and are in a higher tax bracket. But as I mentioned, it isn't exclusively restricted to uh, affecting those, those particular uh, types of investor. So as professional investors, or indeed as investors with a professional approach, we are looking at ways to improve the situation, aren't we? Now, I, I talked about some of the ways in which we could do this a couple of episodes ago when I discussed the so-called Alice in Wonderland tax grab or Clause 24's Mortgage Interest Relief Law Change in the Finance Act 2015. Now, the heart of many of these points that I discussed was an aim to improve overall profitability and investment returns. So if we, if we look at serviced accommodation, for example, we can see that, from my example, the potential returns are very good indeed. Equally, unlike other niche segments that are also uh, targeting higher yields, there is currently less regulation and indeed less competition as well. And that's why a number of early adopter property investors are beating a path to try their hand at the serviced accommodation model, myself included. As regards to partnerships, many investors that previously would have put their money into buy-to-let are realizing that they can still achieve a very good return by collaborating with another investor that can gain access to higher return projects. These could include projects such as the aforementioned service accommodation model, but equally commercial conversions where we take, let's say, a, a, a retail or industrial building and convert it into residential use. New build development, so we actually build a property on land or, or build more than one property on it where it was an existing single property. HMOs and value-added flip projects, just to give a few examples. Now, projects such as these all have the potential to deliver return on investment numbers well into double digits, and so sharing that with a more experienced property investor or developer has a lot of merit, not least of which as it still allows investment into property, which I'm sure that's what we're all interested in as we're listening to this show. You're probably all interested in property. I am probably picking up some additional knowledge as we go, even if we're looking over the shoulder of the person with the more experience who's actually got their hands on the project. However, it also allows a more passive or armchair type of uh, approach to property if you prefer. And uh, that might be particularly appealing to those with other commitments on their time or who could find it difficult to access such projects uh, due to geographical factors, let's say. I'm working with a number of people who are overseas, just to put that, uh, overseas people who've got jobs. So I, put, I combine the, the two together uh, just to illustrate the point there. Anyway, um, watch this space really, as I believe these two areas will spring up even more into life uh, from April, when the government policy changes really start to kick in, and as it's going to ramp up over the next few years, particularly as the Clause 24 mortgage interest relief thing starts to take hold, and people really start to understand what difference that is going to make to them. And I'm, and I'm sure that there'll be other emerging trends as well as we move forward. In fact, I go as far as to say that the only constant is in fact change. And so we must always have an eye on what trends are emerging, what social, legal and political changes are heading our way, and also what market forces are at play at any given point in time. 
Right now, at least, though, it strikes me that the so-called landlord bashing has become centre stage at this moment in time. And so we need to adapt and change. We also need to be professional and a little bit smart about what we're planning to do next. And just as in warfare, guerrilla tactics or an underground resistance can help to bring about a victory for a seemingly weaker opponent. I may well return to this subject later, therefore, but for now at least, that should give you a little bit of a pointer into a couple of the trends for you to do a little bit more digging yourself. By all means, though, drop me a line, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, if you want to have a chat about these ideas a little more. And uh, I'll be back next week with another soundbite episode, so uh, I look forward to you joining me then, all being well if I get through the next couple of days of this trip um, here in Thailand. Yes, I do sound a little bit uh, hesitant, don't I? But I, I hope hopefully I'll get through that and my voice will remain intact if nothing else. But you can always drop me a line, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. And as always, the show notes can be found at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Meanwhile, as always, thank you very much for joining me on the show today. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's Ciao Ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.